This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. So please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Transparency. Uh, so it's, it's, there's irony in that, you know, this whole series we've been doing on anxiety, that I get anxious uh, being up here. Right? You know, one of the, the way God has made us, it, it's kind of interesting that our hands get cold as we get nervous because the blood rushes to the center, something about that. Doctors, you probably know about this stuff, but I can just feel it in my body and you, you feel it right here right when you're anxious and there's different responses that we have that are very physiologically we are fearfully and wonderfully made some of the research that we have uh, uncovered I think in the last six weeks I want to do a little a little review I might sound like a teacher but uh, bear with me so if you remember Psychology 101, if you ever had to take that class, there was a distinction perhaps made between fear and anxiety. Fear is a, a response, an auto-nervous system response to something that is presenting a danger in front of you, and it's a good thing that you are fearful. There's actually a disorder that people have who don't have that fear factor, and uh, they, they have to deal with it different way, different, go around about it. And uh, hopefully they're still alive, because that's a tough deal. But anxiety, as opposed to being a specific response, anxiety is uh, more of a general, uh, amorphous, uh, vague state of being that, uh, different ways to talk about it, but it's like that auto-nervous system thing never goes away. And you hear the static noise of your own voice. If you know what I'm talking about here. If you have trouble sleeping at night and be related to anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So that, that's one way to refer to the difference between fear and anxiety. Uh, let's, uh, let's just go down the list a little bit more here. Some of the bad things about anxiety, it often comes out of a desire to control the future. And the future is in whose control? <laughs> It's, you guys are good at this in church. You know, God's probably, it's either God or Jesus. Okay. And uh, you might, somebody once said, you might as well give him the future. It's his anyway, right? So, it, but it's our attempt to play God with the future that brings anxiety. And we don't trust God to be good at it the way we would be good at it. But that backfires. Uh, secondly, when we're uh, extremely uh, focused on safety, and this is for parents to hear when we have a strong, and, and safety is a good thing, but when it becomes the main thing in your life, that produces uh, a lot of anxiety. And uh, actually, uh, if you think about the best things in your life, many of them have come from taking a risk. Uh, so being overly safety conscious can be something that raises our anxiety. We've talked about catastrophizing, the, the use of our imagination to entertain fear entertaining like inviting them into your home and serving them food and drink and nourishment so that they get bigger and bigger and bigger and that is not a good thing 
But some of the good things about uh, anxiety or fear, if, we can, if I can use either one of those back and forth, uh, or stress, and lots of research on this one that uh, when on peak performance of athletes or musicians or whatever, peak performers depend on stress to get better at what they do. And they'll, you know, if, obviously in the extreme sports that, all of that, but in any in any sport, you you have bigger tests that you try to do, and it creates stress, and that you're able to hopefully do what you need to do. And then in the in the walk of faith, which is what we're focusing on here and today, is that God uses anxiety in our lives positively, and that. It becomes, if you look back in your life, and I'd much rather look back and look forward, but looking back in your life, you will see that those points where you grew the most or came closest to God were times of high anxiety. In fact, for me, I would say this, that I would not be a Christian without anxiety in my life. I'm a little reluctant, though, to say thank God for anxiety. (laughs) I mean, it's just, that's like going too far. But it's true. Uh, So what I want to do is at least open the possibilities up for for God using anxiety in your your life and uh, take a positive approach to it. One of the opportunities that you'll have is to come for anointing when we're at the end here. I I bring it up now because some of you might be anxious about this. It's just a little uh, bottle of oil. And if you come, you will hear these words over you. Receive the peace of Christ and cast all your cares upon him. That's it. And you'll be anointed with the sign of the cross. And uh, somebody said after the first service, I hadn't thought about it, but how many places in the world can you go and receive an anointing uh, in that way? I mean, there just aren't many. So, hey, you struck it rich today, folks. (laughs) There you go. All right. So uh, Peter, we're uh, in his letter, and he is writing to very anxious people who are followers of Christ in the first century in in what would now be Turkey. And... um, they are in, this is roughly in the mid-60s of the first century. And there's a lot coming down on them. Uh, we won't go into all the details there, but they're, throughout the letter, we're in the end of the letter, he uh, refers to their anxiety there and earlier. So they're under pressure. They know what it is to be stressed. And he has some advice uh, for them. And he wants to change their expectations because if you expect life to be a certain way and it ends up being another way, you can get disillusioned. And so he's going to give us a kind of a resetting our expectations. It's normal to experience anxiety or turbulence in this life. And he has three pieces of advice for us. And uh, they were in the passage that was read for you. Oh, I want to give you this. Um, He uses a heavy dose of what we would call pilgrim journey uh, kind of motif. And that we are all in a journey, and this I use this a lot with people, and I won't go into all the details, but you'll see the idea is that you start down here in the lower left in your life in Christ, and you walk through these different places, and um, it's not a straight line. The, life isn't a straight line, and certainly the Christian life isn't a straight line, and there are many ebbs and flows and ups and downs and hots and colds, and it fits and starts. I don't know how, how else to say it, but uh, the idea, though, is that you are on a, there's a story. This is a, a person of faith believes they're in a story and that their life is a story, and you're going somewhere, and the basic thing that we might understand is it's basically up and to the right, 
if you can if you know what I'm talking about using that sort of graph imagery it's it's the, the general trend is up and to the right so it's a, it's a it's a good thing with lots of struggles along the way. And that's the pilgrim journey. And you'll find heroes in these stories. And there's times in your life where you're a hero and there's times where you flop like me. So uh, there's that. And then here's, here's Peter's three pieces of advice, how to walk. You're going to humble yourself. We're going to humble ourselves, he says, under the mighty hand of God. We're going to cast our anxieties upon him because he loves you. And we're going to be alert to an enemy. And actually, it's three enemies, but we're going to, uh, we'll focus, um, well, we'll, we'll introduce all three of those. At any rate, uh, there's, there's our um, outline. So let's start with humble yourselves. And I want to begin with a bigger picture, a reference back to the Old Testament, Genesis, the first three chapters. We're going to rely heavily on that story. And I've, I've done this before. Uh, it was very helpful for me to see this in, in Scripture and see it, how it works in life. And I've shared it before, particularly with men, and uh, it, I found it, it is helpful. So uh, see if it works for you. But to understand, we start with this, this perfect world, this utopian paradise that we call the Garden of Eden. And the thing that we would want to know in in relation to our uh, concerns here is that it was without anxiety. There was a man and a a woman there, and they were, here's here's the words I'm going to use, they were naked, naked in the sense not just physically, but but physically, but also emotionally, spiritually, uh, psychologically, every way they they were fully known to each other without any shame. So they were naked, and they were also naive, they were naive in a good way. We, we would tend to think of naive, somebody being naive as kind of foolish, but they were naive in a good way. They, and I'll, I'll define that here more as we go along. They were given one commandment, and it's really important to note that this is not a right or wrong commandment like the Ten Commandments. Do not commit murder, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah in relation to the Ten Commandments. Forgive me. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> But it, the point is that the commandment was simply to not eat a certain fruit. And the fruit was not an apple. That's totally myth. Which reminds me of the apple cup. Now, I'll go back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy today. I won't tell you why, but... <laughs> Sorry, I have to love everybody. Um, they weren't to eat a certain fruit. And it wasn't a moral commandment, it was a relational commandment. Like when you tell your son or daughter, you have to be home by midnight. There's no place in the Bible. They, your parents might tell you there's a place, but there really isn't, that says you have to be home by midnight. What they care about is you, they love you, and that, if you break that, you violate trust, and the relationship has to get reset. That gives just a, a hint of this kind of commandment. Do not eat from that tree. It's the only commandment. It's very simple. I mean, we have ten later. This is just one. And yet they, they, they break that one commandment. Now, when they break that commandment, what, what enters into their psyche is something that we would call self-conscious. They become self-conscious. They were not self-conscious before. They were naive. So this is how I wanted to use that word, naive. They start to wonder about, why do I feel different? Why do I feel vulnerable? Why don't I feel safe anymore? Is somebody going to use that knowledge that was once they knew everything about me and now they're going to use it against me? We know these feelings. Uh, Let me read to you from this book. This uh, author is uh, Kelly McGongle from Stanford. She's done a lot of research on stress and 
I used, I, I think I read some of this before, but I want to, uh, it gives you an insight into people. This is just one type of anxiety, social anxiety, that I think uh, we can identify with at some level on the spectrum, especially if you're an introvert uh, like myself. Uh, Social anxiety can be a real thing. People with uh, social anxiety believe they're not good in social situations, so they worry about them in advance. Have you ever done that? Like, do I have the right clothes on and all that stuff? You know, just you worry that some, something you've done is going to uh, affect somebody's opinion about you. They fear they'll do something foolish and that others will judge them. They panic over whether they'll be able to make small talk uh, and they won't be able to escape. I always... You know, I, I, was, I kind of joke about it, but during our stand-up and greet one other time, I think the introverts' worst nightmare is that they know the doors are going to be locked and they have to, it's going to go on for hours. You know, this is like hell. You know, I mean, okay. Uh, people with social anxiety disorder are actually in a, a social situation. When they're in a social situation, they tend to focus on themselves instead of others. That's, that's key here. You become self-absorbed. So they were naive and not self-absorbed, and now that they have broken the commandment, they find themselves just thinking, just the self bent in upon the self, absorbed in the self. Thoughts run through their head, like, I look stupid. Why did I just say that? Can they tell how nervous I am? I mean, man, I think I could have written that. Um, They feel awkward. They don't know what to say. As they grow more anxious, their sweaty palms and their racing heart uh, are taken as proof of their social inadequacy, and they wonder if they're having a heart attack. I mean, it goes on here, but it's, it's the extreme to make a point in that you become self-conscious and you get on this spectrum that uh, I'm going to call the I am awful and I am awesome spectrum. And you, you go back and forth and there's anxiety every time you move on that spectrum. Oh, I'm just awful. Oh, I'm just awesome. And then there's, there's a, that's called pride. Uh, awful is called shame. And we, we don't navigate that very well. Yeah, but it's all about both of them. Pride and shame are two sides of the same coin. The coin is called self. And w- this is the static noise of our own hearts that just keeps going and going and going. Now, Peter uh, he says to humble yourselves. And it's good for us to remember C.S. Lewis's definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not saying to yourself, I am awful. It's saying, I'm not going to think about myself as much. And you become other, more other-centered and less self-centered. So to humble ourselves uh, is, is the move. And, and we trade that, 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 whatever that was, that plane or that line that goes from I am awful to I am awesome, we, we switch that out for another line that says, I am imperfect and I'm loved at the same time. And that in the, in the scripture, that's called the gospel. I am imperfect and I am loved. And when I, when I say that, just like when I just said that, I just felt this peace come over me. And I hope that, you know, I don't think that's just me. I think that's for all of us. When we just say those words, say those words every day when you wake up in the morning and see what happens. I'm imperfect. I'm going into another day of my imperfection and I'm going into another day of being loved by God and and hopefully by other people. So that's what it means, though, to, to humble ourselves, 
under the mighty hand of God to clothe ourselves with humility. Secondly, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I want to go back to the Garden of Eden. We'll do it again. And uh, what happens is that they get expelled, this man and this woman, and the intent of the scripture writer is that we would see ourselves in the story, just to make that clear. So it's not just them, but this is also for us. Uh, We find ourselves the same way. We can't go back into the garden. They could not go back into the garden. And what scripture says is that they're, I'll I'll show you a picture here, you know, for what it's worth, but uh, this is an angel with uh, flaming, flaming swords is what it says there. I thought about bringing some swords this morning, but I couldn't get them to flame, so I, I left them at home. And it, wasn't, it wouldn't be safe, right? And some of you were really safety concerned. You'd be all anxious. So I said, let's just show the picture. And there's a, and, um, but it gives you an idea. You're not go- the idea is that you're not going back into that paradise, that utopia, where there's no anxiety. But don't you want to? I mean, don't, don't each of us want to? Here's what God says. And this is the part that is like, adjust your expectations. You're not going back there. Here's where you're going. The desert journey. And it's hard. And you have to just walk. And the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew imagination, when you say the word desert, I mean, we might have mixed emotions about that word and um, some of them really positive when we just get so sick of the rain and all this. But uh, for the Hebrew mind, the desert was a place associated with danger and dryness and death and wild animals. And you could freeze to death at night or you could bake to death during the day. I mean, it's, it's, a, place of, uh, it's a place of high anxiety as opposed to what you have behind in the garden. And God has said, the only way to life is to go forward. I, I mean, I, this is where we adjust our expectations. That is not a rose garden. That is a desert. And God never promised that a rose garden, but he did promise that I will, if you humble yourselves, I will lift you up at the proper time. Whatever that time is. I mean, it could be in this life or it could be the life beyond. That's the promise. But go, and you're going to experience, and we could, we, if we had, you know, just microphone around the room thing, what will you experience on your journey that causes anxiety? I mean, the list is long. Relational strife, uh, health issues, financial issues. I mean, it's, I could go on and on. The temptations that come walking in the, I mean, related to money and sex and power that, I mean, who's, I'm just, who's going to come out this week with the sexual harassment thing? I mean, you know, this is our world. And that, you know, that's a lot of stress. There, there, there are men who are stressed right now and there are women who need to just, I get that out. It's part of this fallen world. Get it out there. Um, this is the journey we're all on, folks. It's not, just, it's not just us. I mean, this is life on planet Earth. So God is inviting us in the midst of all this to cast all our anxieties upon him. 
when we uh, look at what Peter is saying here, if you read the, the whole letter, he, a number of times he uses some really what I call strong language. And this is where I've used this letter for men. Uh, men, I found this with men, and I don't mean to overdraw the distinctions between male and female, but, but men have a sense of quest or they're on this quest journey, which this uh, pilgrimage stuff really works well, to appeal to them, that, to challenge them to a higher place. And Peter uses the language of be ready for action. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if you like uh, video games, you know, be ready for that next whatever it is around the corner. And uh, he says, be steadfast and be strong and stand firm. Peter has all that kind of language in here. But it's not just about that. Cast your anxieties. Casting your anxieties upon God who loves you. That's the, it's an, actually, it's an invitation to you and to me as we go through the desert journey to cast our anxieties upon God. And again, we'll have that... We'll have a little opportunity to do that in a bit. It's going to be really hard, but he offers the exchange. We can trade out our anxieties for his peace simply by that sort of prayerful act of giving it up to him. It's a great deal for us. Uh, but you know, it's, it's hard. You have to humble yourself and let go and all that stuff. It's spiritual uh, stuff of the heart. When I was, we were five years into our marriage, uh, and I was, you know, we had, I don't know how many kids, we had two kids, I think, at that time, and back in the 80s, 1980s, just to be clear, <laughs> and um, we were, uh, I just bought my dad's business, and the, uh, I had, I, I, I was not the most humble uh, son in the world, and I, I remember as I bought my dad's business, I think I'm going to show you, Dad, that I can do this better than you. <laughs> you know, kind of a. Uh. So, uh, you, there was some humility that was going to come upon me, right? And it did, uh, or, or the anxiety at least did. And then I had an employee that stole thousands of dollars from me. And then we, uh, tr- we were trying to refinance our house back. This is when uh, interest rates were really high. And we, had, we just kind of had to refinance, and we were turned down on our refi thing. And I have a success orientation that doesn't do well with that kind of stuff. And I felt like, ah, inside myself. And then our car broke down. This was all over in a, about five or six months. And I was just, I was, I know there were other things in there. The list was longer than that. And I am so thankful that I don't remember everything. <laughs> yeah. There's something good about that. But in the middle of that, and I would say in the middle, not knowing if it was on the calendar or, or somewhere where I hit bottom, because, you know, yeah, you hit bottom with this stuff. Um, I did what he's, what uh, Peter is saying, and I cast my anxiety. Now, you Hopefully you just do it once and you move on, but you don't. You just, it's, a, it's a continual casting of anxiety upon him. And I remember going into my business one morning and singing, actually it was singing that song that we sang a little earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and just living into the moment with that hymn, singing that on my knees in my business. And at least in my mind, that was kind of the, 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 where I started trending up. Not so much in circumstances of life, but in disposition of my heart. Casting all my anxiety upon him because, I, in other words, giving him the future. 
and my heart was changed in that. Now, that's where God uses anxiety to produce growth in our lives. If we look back, we can see it. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's... And, and one of the, the, the things that we do as parents is we try to helicopter, you know, the helicopter thing, and we keep our kids from stress and anxiety, and what we're really keeping them from is God. It, it, it's okay. And um, if it's for me, tell them I'm busy. <laughs> but we, we are um, keeping God from his best work with our children when we try so hard to keep the anxiety out of their lives. Okay, so we've gone through the first two. I want to get back to our outline here. Humble yourselves, cast your anxiety upon him. And um, finally, we're going to get to be alert. The Bible talks about three enemies, so that's where I want to just at least kind of broaden the conversation. Three enemies of of God's people. And they're enemies of, of, in a sense, of all people. But the first one is the world. And you'll find all three of these in this text. The world is that uh, mindset that says everything is now and everything is concrete. They're what we, the only meaning in life is what we can actually see and get our hands around and understand. There's nothing beyond that. And I, I like to ask the question of what percent of reality do you think you actually see? <laughs> Comprehend. Uh, because I don't, I don't think even even the most uh, ardent atheist would would be humble enough to say I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there's there, there's no way because be, just because of science and the discoveries we've, we've had over time that we understand that we don't see everything. But in the in the spiritual realm, the, the problem with the world is it, it it's it's everything is now, and as we're on this journey, all of the transcendent meaning and purpose in life as to why we're here and where we might be going gets flushed out. That's what, that's what it means to be secularized. And you're left with just what you have, what you see, what you live with in the moment. And then there's a second part of it, and that is that the world wants you to think that way. This is where, why it's really the enemy, is that it wants you to be squeezed into that mold, or if I can use an expression, to be blended into that smoothie, so that you have no resistance that you wouldn't challenge the world, especially to say something like Jesus Christ is the only way for you to have life. I mean, that, would be, that's, that was offensive in Peter's time. That's one of, one of the things that they were being uh, persecuted for, and it's offensive to people today. So the world uh, it stands out there as a warning or as an enemy of God's people. The second enemy is the flesh, and we've already talked about this. The flesh is that self-absorption, the absorption of, I mean, just think about those voices. I am awful, and I am awesome, and you're on that line and going back and forth and the anxiety that comes from it. But it's basically about being God, defining yourself. And guess what, folks? You are not very good at being God. Your resume doesn't qualify you. God understands the future. He knows it from the past. He knows everything. And we don't. And we make mistakes, huge mistakes in our lives when we play God. And that's where a lot of the anxiety comes in and the static noise of our hearts. So then we get to the devil, which is the third, which is what uh, Peter refers to here. And he is he says he is uh, prowling. He is roaming around. He, he's an opportunist in other words. He's looking for an opportunity to bring you down. As you're on your journey through the desert, the devil is 
Um, he, he uses, I mean, he's glad to use, think of this as an unholy trinity that works together to, to bring you down. And he, he, but he rejoices when you fall. And he tempts you. Um, my, one of my favorite sayings is, the devil, uh, he tempts you to eat ice cream. He sells you ice cream. And then he makes you feel bad when you eat it. Right? It's not fun, fun to bring that one up after Thanksgiving, is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just feel like I just crossed the line. Or, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. And so his, his name, the devil, it, it, it gets lots of, uh, it means uh, literally something like deceiver. And then Satan from the Old Testament literally means accuser. So think of somebody who deceives and accuses, and that's what he does. He, de- he deceives you into t- telling you this ice cream is going to be really good for you, and then he accuses you when you eat it. It's not fair. You can't win. You're up against a pretty strong enemy here. Well, and he, he's looking for opportunities uh, to bring you down. And your, your resources here on the inside are your joy. Your joy is like your vitamins for your soul. When you have joy, the devil... Resist, you can resist him. It, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. It gives you spiritual buoyancy. keeps you afloat. And then you have peace. And that peace does something uh, similar inside. You, you just, the, the temptations aren't as vibrant. and um, You just know things are going to be good. You have this peace that comes. We've talked about that in this series. But anxiety reduces your joy and your peace. And it makes you vulnerable. So I bring that in here. On your journey through the desert, watch out. All right, I'm going to close with a couple of resources that are mentioned in Peter's letter, and then we'll uh, have the uh, opportunity to come and receive those words over us. The first resource he mentions are your brothers and sisters who are also being, or also suffering for a little while. Um, Let's see, your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings that you are. So we have this, we're we're in this together, this common um, kind of Lord of the Rings company, the fellowship, what do they call it, of the ring. We're all going through the desert together. We're not going alone. It's when we get alone that we get isolated. And, you know, with the the herd, the, the, the devil will get you when you're isolated. Stay with the herd. And uh, so we, we have this shared thing we have, and we need each other as we go through life. And then finally, he mentions Christ in verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So just focusing on Christ for a sec. I don't know. Did I say something? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of movement. All right. Did I give you the false sign there? No, it's okay. All right. Um, so what, what Christ does is he comes down, think of back to the desert, and he gets plopped down of his own volition. He gets plopped down into humanity, this side, this side of the garden. And he's going to walk the journey. He's going to walk through the desert. He's going to experience all the anxiety and the temptation, or at least the possibility for anxiety and temptation that you do and I do. I mean, that's, that's what he does when he becomes a human. 
He's going to walk through this, as all humans do. And he comes, we have these couple of reference points I'll point out to you. He goes to the, in, early in the Gospels, it talks about Jesus being tempted where? In the desert, three times by the devil, who tries to bribe him, basically, with bribes that we would all just grab onto so quickly. And he stands firm. He stands firm. And then at the end of that time, it says, and, and the devil left him until a more opportune time. And the, the, the apex or the acme of that opportune time comes the night of, of before he is crucified on the cross. And he's in another garden, not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, he is on his knees with absolutely chock full of anxiety because he knows that the weight of the world literally is on him. And his anxiety is for your heart and my heart as we walk through the desert. And he knows that he has to make an other-centered sacrifice for you to be, at least potentially, have life in the midst of the desert. And in his, his anxiety, he has got, looks like sweat, but it literally it says something like drops of blood coming through the pores of his skin, whatever that is. And uh, doctors have a word for it, which I can't remember, but it, his anxiety was very, very extreme. And, and then he says in that prayer there, he says, I, want, I don't want to go. I don't want to go where you want me to go, Father, but I will go there. I trust you for the future. He casted his anxiety upon his father. And that is good news. Now, the one who walked through the desert and who, was, it, the scripture says, was tempted in every way, Jesus Christ was tempted in every way we are, is willing to walk with you. There's the invitation to allow him to walk with you in your anxious place where you find yourself this morning. So what I'd like to do right now is just close us in prayer and then we'll give you the opportunity to come and receive the anointing and hear those words over you. Let's pray together. If you just close your eyes. We'll start with a question. Where, where do you find yourself anxious today? We, we can all answer that if we're honest. We all have something in our lives usually a list. Just go ahead and name it inside yourself. Name what that is. Lord, as you hear those things, and you know them anyway, but as we are on our journey, um, hear us. The second question is, can you cast that? Can you let it go? Can you trust God for the future with that? because you know that he cares for you. Can you humble yourself under him and believe that he will lift you up in due time? That's his invitation to you. Can you in faith take him up on that? And here's a prayer maybe for all of us. Oh Lord, Come into our anxious hearts. Come into my anxious heart now and bring your peace. Life is hard and we are truly imperfect and thankfully we are truly loved. So we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy which finds us here this morning. Amen. So again, the words that you will hear...
uh, if you choose to come forward or you can go back, either back or forward, there's four places. Um, Receive the peace of Christ as you cast all your cares, all your anxiety upon him.